following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with a little impromptu every now and then for us to be reminded that God is in control and we are not. (laughs) What do you do with circumstances when it seems like you have absolutely no control of the situation that's going on. Well, what do you do when you're searching for your place in God's kingdom? Where, where am I to be plugged in at? Why does God have me in this situation? Why does God have me at this church? Why does God have me in this city, in this family, whatever your case may be? Most of us go through this life wanting you know exactly what is my place in this world? What is my place in this grand scheme of things. As we go through uh, our series on how to have a stable life, of course, we're talking about life beginning in a stable in a manger in Bethlehem on Christmas. That's what our whole series is revolved around. We started four weeks before Christmas, and we're going to go through this month a few more weeks looking at a few more topics. Today's focus is on the life of John the Baptist. And before the announcement of Jesus ever came, the announcement that the front runner to Jesus Christ would be born prior to Jesus coming into this world. And upon his birth and upon his mission statement of what he was to be doing, John knew exactly what his place in God's kingdom was. He knew exactly what role he was to portray, and he did it well. And there's Six characteristics that we can look at through the passage we're going to look at today. We're going to start off in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We'll use that as our springboard passage uh, to look at this topic on knowing your place. Uh, Some of you have already figured out exactly what it is that you've been created for. Some of you already know uh, exactly where your place in serving in God's kingdom is. Some of you are still maybe looking for it. Maybe you've been looking for it all your life and you haven't quite nailed it down. Hopefully here in a few weeks you'll be able to find that out because uh, right after revival we'll begin a series on spiritual gifts. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Maybe you do know what it is but you have yet to develop it. Next week we'll have a uh, survey we'll have ready for you. And it's something I want you to take and read and pray over. And know um, you got to be honest on this test. you got to be honest with yourself on this survey. It's not what I, necessarily what I want my spiritual gift to be, but what is my actual spiritual gift? So you got to be honest with yourself when you take this survey. And I think some of you will be surprised with the results that you see. And that, in essence, will help you find uh, your place, your purpose, and your role Uh, here at this church and in God's kingdom as well. So let's all stand for the reading of God's word, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and this will be our springboard before we get into the life of John the Baptist. We've got several other things uh, that we want to take care of today. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper here at the end of the service after the invitation, and then we'll just have a brief business meeting to vote on uh, our budget for this year. So the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, he says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So to find your place in God's kingdom, there's a lot of humility involved in it. You've got to set aside some of your own selfish amb- ambition and conceit. You can't strive after personal goals, which is some of the things that Paul is touching on here. And you'll see that reflected in the life of John the Baptist here in just a moment. But Paul goes on to say, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I find it very interesting that this is exactly what John the Baptist did. He wasn't looking to promote himself. Not only was he promoting the Lord Jesus Christ and clearing the way for him, but he was helping others by simply defining, here's how you can have repent. Be baptized and follow the Lord. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for this day and for all you're doing. We thank you for the lives that have gone on before us, Lord God, that have been uh, role models for us in seeking our place in the kingdom. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. First of all, if they don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, help them to understand that they were created to worship you and to have fellowship with you and to have communion with you. Secondly of all, Lord, I pray that they would find out exactly what they were created for as far as their role here in building your kingdom and doing the work that you've called them to do. And we just ask it all in Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to give you all six points at first, and then we'll go back through and we'll unpack it through the passage that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 3. So here's what knowing your place involves. Knowing your place in God's kingdom, knowing your role, where you stand, where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing. Knowing your place involves simplicity. When you understand your place, boy, that clears the way for so many other things. You don't even have to think about it. I know what I'm here for. I know where my place is. I know who's in authority over me. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. That just makes things so much more simpler when you know your place in God's kingdom. Knowing your place also involves certainty. Man, you can have this confidence in knowing this is what God has created me for. This is where God has placed me, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You can have that confidence and boldness of moving forward in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But also knowing your place involves accessibility. Once you discover your place, how how do you make yourself accessible to everyone that can benefit from it? Number four, knowing your place also involves approachability. You can't put up bumpers. You can't consider yourself higher than someone else. You can't say, I know my place, but you don't know your place, so just stay away from me until you figure your part out. Knowing your place means that you're approachable by other people and helping them find their place in God's kingdom as well. The last two, I think, are the most important that we see in John the Baptist's life. Number five, knowing your place involves sincerity. Once you do figure out your place, you say, look, I I know that someone else is going to be in the limelight. I know that they're going to be in the spotlight, and I'm going to be working behind the scenes. 
So that leads to number six, knowing your place also involves humility. I think the closing statement that John the Baptist said in just a moment when we read it kind of summarizes his attitude on the whole thing. He knew his place and he served with a high degree of humility. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're continuing in the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke, who is a Gentile, one of the only Gentile authors of the Bible. Uh, we could actually say that the Gospel of Luke is uh, Luke 1 and Acts is Luke 2. Or you could say that Luke is Acts 1 and Acts is Acts 2. But he's the same author of both books. Uh, Luke not only wrote an accurate account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but he also wrote an accurate account of the birth of the first century church, and the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so simplicity, knowing your place involves simplicity. We see that uh, Luke gives an account of the timeline when John the Baptist stepped on the scene. He says, now in the 15th, uh, 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judas, uh, Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And so his simplicity himself, not only as a person, but his message. John was a simple man with a simple message. He was a Nazarite from birth. He had taken a Nazarite vow, which explains many of his ways and his habits. He was a man of solitude. Luke says here that he was in the wilderness, not necessarily to be by himself, but to be alone with God. And so therefore, he got the word in the mission statement that we'll read here in just a moment that explains his life. Matthew says that he was a man of plain dress. He wore a coat of camel hair and a leather belt. This guy stuck out like a sore thumb. Very unique in his ways. Uh, I guess in some ways uh, you could say he was somewhat eccentric. Very unusual. He was like a prophet. Many of them compare him to the prophet Elijah. Uh, he was plain on food. Matthew also records that his diet consisted of wild honey and locusts. How would you like to have that for a diet plan? <laughs> you think you might lose a few pounds? But living out in the wilderness, he ate what he could. And, and the locusts were actually one of the few insects that were allowable by law for Jews to consume. I have no idea what they tasted like. I don't know how many of them he ate in a day's time, but that's what's recorded in the Bible uh, that his diet consisted of. So in many ways, John the Baptist was a prophet similar to Elijah, but here's what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. He said he was greater than a prophet because he came at a time one of the darkest times in the nation of Israel, and he proclaimed that Jesus the Messiah is not only coming, but he is here, and here's how you can find him, and here's how you can make yourself ready. 
So he was plain on speech. He was a simple man with a simple message. Number one, he said, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Number two, you need to repent of your sins. We've got a lot that we can learn by that simple of a message. Amen? You don't have to explain some theological dissertation to someone to share your faith. You just tell them, hey, you've got a problem that you can't take care of on your own. Jesus is coming soon. And I think that if we would gather that fact, if we would hold on to that fact closely ourselves, that would elevate our sense of urgency in sharing the gospel. Here's why John was so urgent and so fervent with his message, because he knew Jesus was hot on his heels. I'm clearing the way for him. He was born right after me. His earthly ministry is fixing a launch, and you're fixing to see something that you've never seen before. And I truly believe that if we are close to Jesus' second coming, that's going to create a sense of urgency in our message like we've never had before. Folks, he's coming soon. The end is very, very near. I know some of you have been hearing that all of your life, but the signs of the times are there. I'm even hearing lost people talk about how bad things are these days, which gives us a very good indication that if they can tell that something's going on, we should too. So John says you need to repent of your sins. Not only did he tell them they needed to repent of their sins, but he made himself accessible to baptize them to show a reflection that they were repentant of their sins as well. So knowing your place in God's kingdom involves keeping the message simple. If you know your place, if you know you've been saved, if you know you've been born again, you understand how someone can get to heaven. Number one, Jesus died for your sins. Number two, Jesus wants to save you. And that was the simplicity of John the Baptist's message. And so a certain degree of certainty, while in the wilderness, I would have to believe that John the Baptist got word from the Lord. Here's your message. Here's your ministry. And here's how God confirmed it through the prophet Isaiah. He said, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Do you see the level of certainty in that message? That's the confirmation that John the Baptist got and that's how he knew his place in the kingdom of God. Something very interesting to note here. The very first scriptural reference that Dr. Luke uses as mission statements for, all, for both John the Baptist and for Jesus himself come from the prophet Isaiah. Here John the Baptist uses Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 through 5 as his mission statement. And Jesus, in just a few weeks we're going to look at Jesus when we talk about finding your purpose in life. Jesus uses Isaiah chapter 49 verses 8 through 9. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, when he declares to everyone in the synagogue, he unrolls a scroll and says, here's 
what I'm here for. Here is my purpose, and this is what I'm proclaiming to you. So during John's time alone in the wilderness with the Lord, obviously it resulted in a certainty of God's calling upon his life. And so if you know your place in the work of God's kingdom, in order for you to know your place in the work of God's kingdom, what must you do? You've got to spend time alone with the Lord. You've got to spend time in his word. You've got to develop that certainty of knowing, here's what God has said in his word. This is my confirmation, and this is where I get my certainty from. No doubt about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is what God used to confirm the calling on my life. Because the things that I struggle with, speaking publicly, and my level of education, the Apostle Paul said, I didn't come to you with excellent speech or great wisdom, but I came to you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're asking God, if you're praying to the Lord, God, show me my place in your kingdom. Where is it that you want me to be? What is it that you want me to do? You spend time alone with the Lord and you spend time in God's word. And I promise you, I promise you, he's going to confirm that. He's going to give you that certainty in your life. That's one of the reasons we started last Sunday with the chronological Bible, reading through it in one year. If you haven't started, if you want to start, we have a few copies left. We'd love for you to get in on it. You could double up and catch up with us. You don't have to stay on track day by day, but as long as you're reading through it, that's what I was doing whenever God confirmed my calling. I was reading through the Bible in a year. It was in November, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I hit that. I was praying with it. I was struggling with it, and God confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt. Tracy, this is what I want you to do. And he gave me that certainty to pursue that calling in my life. Number three, while John was in the wilderness, uh, he was alone with the Lord. He didn't stay isolated. No man is an island. Isolation is a good thing every now and then, but we are not meant to be alone. God created us to have fellowship with each other. Five aspects of the church. Every dead frog must wiggle. (laughs) Evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, worship, and service. Those are the five aspects of the church. I didn't get them in the right order, but I think you get the point. We, we are created to fellowship. Most of the times our fellowship involves food, not wild honey and locusts. Thank the Lord for that. I, I can't imagine having locust cornbread. <laughs> I like my crawfish cornbread. Y'all know that. But that makes us accessible when we enjoy fellowshipping with each other, when we enjoy being around each other. Sunday mornings are the highlight of the week. I love being together on Wednesday nights and praying with my church family. But that's not the only times that I'm accessible. There are some times when I'm not accessible. There are some times when my schedule just will not allow. And there are some times that I really have to devote to being alone with the Lord. But the majority of the time, I have an open-door policy, and I make myself as accessible as possible. In verse 7, we see that of John the Baptist. While he was in the wilderness, the multitudes came to him to be baptized. Then he said to the multitude that came to be baptized. Now, the message that he told them when they got there wasn't a very pleasant message, but that didn't stop the people from coming. 
While John was a man that practiced solitude, he knew that his place in God's kingdom was to bring a message to others. And he couldn't bring that message by staying in solitude the whole time. The message was not to keep to himself, but to make known to as many as possible. The past few years during COVID, boy, that isolation, those times of being isolated, quarantined, whatever you want to call it, that was torture for a lot of people. And it made it very, very difficult to do visitation because you knock on a door, people would crack the door open, they'd say, what do you want? <laughs> people just wanted to be isolated because they lived in fear. We knew what was going on, but we couldn't stay like that. We still had times of fellowship. Even during our worship time, we, we kept our distance, but we knew that we had to be there for each other. And so, John the Baptist, if you preach repentance and baptism, you need to make sure that both are acceptable. The message that I bring is come to Jesus, follow him, give him your life. The first step of obedience is what? Baptism. So, central to our sanctuary is a baptistry. We want to make that accessible for people. So, John made himself accessible not only in the wilderness, but he usually hung out around the River Jordan. And so not only was he there where there was just a little bit of water, but John actually records that a location where he was at had much water because he knew that there was going to be multitudes coming to him to be baptized. And so he wanted to be in a place where he could make that happen. He wanted to make that accessible as possible. Not a problem here in Morgan City. We got our fair amount of water here in Morgan City, don't we? <laughs> well, you want to be baptized, we'll make it happen one way or another. We can go to Lake Pelour. We can go to the Chafalaya River. I'd rather do it right here, though. We want to make that accessible to people. When they repent of their sins, when they turn to the Lord, when they want to give their lives to the Lord, when they want to be baptized, showing their obedience and their walk with the Lord, we make that as accessible as possible. So while John was a weird-looking character, camel hair, leather belt, uh, I don't know what his facial features were like. I don't know how he was built, but he definitely stuck out like a sore thumb. He was still a very approachable person. He didn't beat people down with the message. He didn't convict them. He didn't cast judgment upon them. But as we read in verses 8 through 14, he actually had conversations with them, and he told them what to do. He was a very approachable person with his message. Uh, they wanted to know, uh, what do we do? Uh, we, we, we hear you say, flee from the wrath to come. What are we supposed to do? In verse 8, he begins telling them, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? This is where he made himself very, very approachable. They came to him with questions. He had this dialogue with them. He wanted to not only uh, turn them away from their sins and baptize them, but he wanted to answer their questions that they had as well. What, what do we do, John? What do you want us to do? He's answered them and said, 
He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. In other words, where is the evidence that something has changed? Show me the proof that you have repented from your sins and you're wanting to live a godly life, a different life. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? A different group totally that John the Baptist is dealing with here. Then he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. Likewise, the soldiers, yet another group of people. You see how approachable this guy is to many different levels of people in that culture in that time? Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So while it was most definitely his appearance that made John appealing to others, his message struck a chord with others that made them curious about the way of living and how it should be conducted to make themselves for the coming Messiah. John, you tell us that Jesus is coming. What must we do with our lives to make ourselves ready for his appearance? And when people get saved, they don't automatically know how to talk Christianese language. They don't know the things that they should and should not do. They're not familiar with the Bible. So that's when we need to make ourselves approachable to them. Hey, what questions do you have? Let's go to God's word and let's, let's explore that together. Let me show you how to live a life that reflects the image of Jesus Christ. John was intentionally putting himself on their level in several different ways. We see three different levels of people that he was talking to during this time. And so this made his role and position very approachable to others. And when you find your place in the kingdom of God and serving the Lord and here in this church or wherever you may be attending church at, you've got to make yourself approachable. You can't keep that distance from other people. You can't go in with the attitude that I'm holier than you are. Stay away from me. I don't want any of your uh, dirt or filth or things that you're dealing with to rub off on me. But rather, otherwise, you make yourself approachable to them and say, here, let, let me help you with that problem. I've been through that before. Let me answer those tough questions that you have about living the Christian life. Sincerity. Knowing your place involves a high degree of sincerity. John was a very, very sincere person for what we can see in the Scripture. Verse 15 says, Now as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Man, how easily could John have taken advantage of that situation? He could have said, Oh yeah, here I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been hearing about. But he said, No, that's not my place in the kingdom of God. So he had to have that level of sincerity and knowing, hey, you know, keep yourself humble. Keep yourself focused on what God has called you to do. You worry about your job, and then you let Jesus worry about what he's supposed to be doing. John could have easily taken advantage of the opportunity to present himself as something more than what he actually was. However, he clearly stated his mission statement 
He fulfilled his calling and he made sure that others knew what his place in the grand scheme of things actually was. And he took it a step further. He said, you know what? I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. He could have taken that role. He could have accepted the praises of the people because no one else had spoken to him the way that he did. No one else had made themselves approachable like John the Baptist did. The priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, none of, them said, none of those people, none of those religious leaders made themselves approachable to the people like John the Baptist did. John said, you know what, I'm going to get down on your level. I'm going to go hang out in the places where you can come to. I'm not going to put myself in the temple where you can't be. I'm going to put myself out in the wilderness by the water, and I'm going to make myself as accessible as possible. But I'm going to do it with a degree of sincerity and knowing that this is what I'm called to do, and this is the place where I'm supposed to be. And he shows his humility by saying how high above him Jesus Christ actually was. Beginning in verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. How humble is that? How humble was it of John the Baptist saying, you know what? I'm a nobody. I'm not the one. I'm not even close to the one that's coming. The one that's coming, I'm not even worth stooping down at his feet and taking his shoes off for him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. I'm going to keep filling in the place where God has called me to be. And I'm going to keep fulfilling the role and only the role that God has called me to fulfill. He said, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandal strap. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. And gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John says, I'm giving you the opportunity to repent right now. I'm giving you the opportunity while it's here to ask for forgiveness of your sins. I'm giving you the opportunity right now to show works that are worthy of repentance. He said, but there's coming a time when that opportunity is going to run out. He said, when the one shows up who is the final judge of all mankind, he's going to whisk away everything that's useless. All the chaff is going to be burned up. Everything that he can't use for benefit of his kingdom is going to be gone, and only the wheat is going to be left behind. That which is useless, uh, useful, that which is beneficial for my kingdom, that's what he's going to take. He said, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John gives an analogy right there of heaven and hell. Hell is a place of torment not meant for God's children, not meant for mankind. 
But those who reject the message of repentance, those who choose to live in sinful state, those who choose to follow the ways of the world instead of following the ways of the Lord, John here is saying one of these days that is going to be burned up with an unquenchable fire. And he closes out the passage by saying this, and with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all that, he shut John up in prison. But John served with a high level of sincerity and a high level of humility. He humbled himself. He said, I know where my place is is in the kingdom of God. I know what God has placed me here on this earth to do. He told it to my parents what I was going to do. He showed me through the scriptures what I'm supposed to do. And here's the question that I have for you today. What can God do with a humble servant that really knows the place that he's supposed to be serving in? What can God do with a heart that understands their place in God's kingdom? What can God do with someone who is willing to humbly work behind the scenes, not get any credit, not get any accolades, Say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, whether anybody sees it or not. I, I know that there's someone else that's going to be in the limelight all the time. They're going to be in the spotlight, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm still going to pray for that person. I'm not going to talk negatively about them, but I'm going to support their ministry while I'm faithfully serving in my own ministry. You see, in the work of the Lord, there is a place for everyone to be utilized. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, don't matter what your background is, it don't matter what your skill set is, it doesn't matter what your physical ability is. Right here in this congregation, in God's kingdom, in the body of Christ, which is the analogy we're going to use when we get into spiritual gifts. What role do you play? What is your place? Are, are you a pinky toe? <laughs> are you a thumb, an arm, a leg, an eye? But God has created you with a unique skill set, certain characteristics, certain traits, and he's put you in a place to do a certain role. These six things that we learned from John the Baptist's life, I hope that they're beneficial to you when we start looking at that. We'll probably review this again before we kick off our study on spiritual gifts. But, but that's what I see when I look out across this congregation. That's what I see when I look out across the church. No matter where I go to church, I always wonder, you know, has, has that person actually tapped into the place where they're supposed to be serving at? Are they filling in the, that, that empty spot that may be here in this church? Or are they just here as a bench warmer, a sponge just wanting to soak in? But are they allowing God to squeeze out everything in their lives that he created them for? Do you know your place 
in the kingdom of God. John knew his and he knew it well. And he fulfilled his role extremely well. As a matter of fact, he lost his head because of it. He was beheaded in the end because he was so faithful to fulfilling his role. Each and every person is uniquely made and uniquely gifted. Some people's place is a little more higher profile than others, and that's okay. Some accomplishments are seen by everyone. Some of them are more visible. Some of them are less visible, and that's okay. Some tasks will be done with absolutely no one noticing, but you know what? They still have to be done by someone. They don't get done on their own. And here's the thing about it. If God wants something done, all he's got to do is snap his fingers. But he allows us to be a part of his kingdom building process. There are things that go on here each and every day. Some of you may never notice. You may never even hear about. This, this screen behind me that, that wasn't down this morning. Here in a little while. Maybe this Sunday, maybe next Sunday, you're going to see two new screens. Some of you are going to wonder, now, now how did that happen? Who did that? When did that take place? Some of you are going to say, well, I'm glad that got done. <laughs> and not think twice about it. But things like that don't happen by themselves. And each and every day in God's kingdom, things take place that we don't see about right now. Somewhere in a third world country, there's someone who has uh, left a full-time occupation. They left their family and they're preaching the gospel. We'll never know that person's name. We'll never see them. We'll never hear from them. But they are faithfully serving in a place that God has called them to serve. What about you? What is it that God is calling you to do today? This quote by Hannah Smith is not what men do that is of the vital matter, rather what they are. What are you in the kingdom of God? What is your role? What is your place? The first step is knowing for sure, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that you are a child of God. You belong to Him. He is your heavenly father. That your sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been given a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And that's when God makes you a clean, wholesome, usable vessel for his kingdom and for his glory. You may not be like John the Baptist. You may not be preaching a message of repentance. You may not be the one that multitudes are coming to. But you may be a very important support crew for someone like that. You may be of benefit to someone else's ministry. You may be a benefit of a congregation here or somewhere else. I don't know what your place is. I, I can't answer that question for you. It, it took me long enough to figure out my own. But what I want to do today is to help you get started in that process. God, I want to know what my place 
and your body is. But most of all, Lord, I want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that heaven is my home. My sins have been forgiven. And my life has been recreated and renewed by you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you've never taken that first step in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It first begins by realizing that your life has been infected by sin. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin comes with the penalty. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death, a separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that God has given us a remedy for that. Not only is the wages of sin death, but the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the only way to receive that gift is to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, so that he could be the one-time sacrifice. And if you're trying to get to heaven any other way, then you believe that Jesus' death on the cross was in vain. It was useless. But the one and only reason that Jesus came and died on the cross is for you to have forgiveness of your sins because he knew that there was no other way. So the first step you need to say is, God, I know that I've sinned. Second step you need to say is, I believe that you died for my sin. And the third step, you need to say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and make me a new creation. And he will do that. That's the first part of this invitation this morning. Second part, if you don't know your place in the kingdom of God, if you know for sure that you're a Christian, if you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, but you don't know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, come to the altar today. Come let me pray for you and say, I I don't know where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing, but I want to start exploring those opportunities. And God will begin showing you step by step how to do that. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you for this day and we thank you for all that you want to do. As we prepare for upper, I pray that our hearts are prepared for that as well. But Lord, most important, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I ask, Lord God, that you would bring that, them to that realization today. Lord, if there's anyone here who's struggling to find their place in your kingdom and what they're supposed to be doing at this time, I pray that you would enlighten them, Lord God. Help them to get things in order to where they can clearly hear from you where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.